Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, but uh, this evening I want to talk about a time of peace. Um, uh, and I want to look at, um, I actually want to look at Solomon and his desire or his need, uh, his reliance on wisdom. And I think there's something in that for us in trying to minister to people a time of peace. That we would be people who can go into communities, environments, um, cities, nations, schools, our workplaces and actually bring peace into those places and bring peace to broken situations, broken lives uh, and actually our cities and nations. Um, uh, I believe that actually God has a strategy and a plan. I, I think God is a God of strategy. I think God is very strategic in, th- in the way he does things. I don't think he's always messy. I think there's divine order. I think God is a God of order. And he has strategies and plans for your workplace, for your families, for our cities, and for our nations to transform and change them. And I think it is the gift of divine wisdom to be able to tap into that strategy and plan that God has. That we will be able to be people who bring peace. So, so to Solomon, we know how it goes, right? Solomon, uh, Solomon is inheriting the, the kingdom of Israel from his father, David. And uh, God co- shows up to him and says, Solomon, I will give you anything you want. One thing, anything you desire. Ironically, um, uh, spat for Ironically, uh, Solomon asks for wisdom. What an idiot. I mean, God has just... God has just given you the ability to fly. I, he said, one thing I'll give you. I want to fly. I, I would, you know, I, some sort of form of superpower or something, or like the ability to never have to shower. Imagine, <laughs> right, the logic here is, imagine the extra half hour in bed, like every morning. You wouldn't have to get up as early. There's some people who like to, who ask for invisibility. I'm not so sure about those people. I'm like, why are you asking for invisibility? <laughs> Often it's men. Um, but that's, we'll pray for you afterwards that's, you know, if you fall in that category. But um, um, yes, yeah, so um, Solomon asks for wisdom. Actually, uh, some translations put it as Solomon asks for an understanding heart, or actually a, a, a hearing heart is actually what he asks for. So, uh, and God interprets that and goes, I will give you divine wisdom and lots of other stuff. And so what divine wisdom is, is divine wisdom is the ability to lean into a voice or the heartbeat of God to understand what he is doing in his time in our context and what his plans and strategies are. That's what divine wisdom is. What is God thinking? What does he see in the situation? I think that has to do with us being able to minister peace. And actually, I think that's what people peace and, and what the kingdom has to offer, I think that's actually what people want. We've heard it said before, uh, a man has a God-shaped hole on his heart. I agree with that. It's a nice, it's, I think, yeah, okay, I agree with that. Jesus died for all people. That's fine. But I think on the flip side of that, there's also a hole for um, the kingdom of God, as well as God himself. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 11.10 says this. Um, it's talking about Abraham. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now we know Abraham had a desire for God, right? But on top of this, he has a desire for the kingdom of God. Or, or in his eyes, he sees it as 
a city. That's what he sees. He's looking for a space, a place, a community, some, something where actually the principles of the kingdom of God are, are founded on, are found, that's the foundations and the fruit of those things are peace, love, joy, hope, um, the ability that we celebrate each other, that it's not full of hate, that it's actually full of peace, a place of peace. Mm. That is Abraham's desire here. And I think actually on every human heart is the desire for that thing. They just don't have the language or knowledge how to get there, how to achieve it. And I think it's because of human wisdom that they don't understand. I think as well, the church can be found thinking too small. So often, it's like we need to bring the kingdom of God to an individual. I agree with that. I think that's a good thing to do. But, I, but when you read the Bible, what you'll see is God has a heart for cities yeah. and for nations. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this, right? Um, think about the commissioning. Jesus says, go into all the world, pre- preaching the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say go to Bob's house. <laughs> go to Jeff, who needs me. I'm sure Jeff needed him. But Jesus' language was go into the cities and the nations and see them transformed. Yeah. What do we see? Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. An entire city Jesus weeps over. God pulled me up on this whilst I was preparing this message. At YA on Tuesday, someone said, I'm thankful for living in Aberdeen. And I said, I'm not. (laughs) And I think we've been, I think at times, it is easy to rubbish Aberdeen as a city. But actually, God pulled me up and said, Aaron, you need to repent of that because there's no way you can ever have an impact in a city that you don't love. You, you have to love your city that you're in if you want to see it changed and transformed. Yeah. Period. That's the fact. Yeah. So if, if, if you found yourself slagging off Aberdeen, which it is easy to do. <laughs> I've been there. Pull yourself up and just say, no, no, I love my city. Because yeah. it's important that we love our city. Mm. To the point that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Mm. He sends Jonah to Nineveh. He asks Jonah, preach to the entire city that the entire city would repent. Not a person in, in, in Nineveh, not just some heads of the state. Preach to the city and get the city to repent. He says, better will that day be for Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he, he talks in Judgment Day in terms of, of a city. That's incredible. That thought that God has cities and nations on his mind. And I think the church has to expand its vision from just preaching the kingdom to individual lives to start to thinking, let's think cities. Let's think our nations. Bringing the kingdom of God to our cities and our nations. Because I think God created us, in us, the desire to search for a place whose foundations and architect is God. Where the principles of the kingdom, the fruits of the kingdom, reign in that area. But man wants that, but doesn't understand how to get there. Why? Because the principles of the the kingdom are always reverse. It's reverse logic. What Jesus says, says, um, those who are last shall be first, and those who are first shall be last. Man likes to be first. Man logic is, um, I've got a push, I've got a shove. I've got to step over people. I've got to trample over people to get first. It's dog eat, dog eat. But the kingdom of God says, no, 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 no. Sit yourself at the lowest end of the table and I will elevate you to the top. That is stupidity and foolishness to mankind thinking. 
That's why they can't access and don't have a language or an understanding of how to actually walk in everything that they're desiring, which is the kingdom of God. Uh, I think we've got to be careful when, when we talk about relevance because relevance is not submitting to human logic. It's, relevance is not mirroring the secular. Relevance is being everything that they're longing to be. Does that make sense? Say again. Being relevant is not about mirroring the secular culture. Being relevant is actually about being everything that they are longing to be. And the moment we start to demonstrate that, you will find people falling in love with the church. Falling in love with the people of God. Actually coming to us. And I mean, I know I'm, I know I'm probably saying something that seems a bit out of our depth, right? Transform cities? An individual, maybe. Cities? Nations? Mm, I don't know. Aaron, we're a room of like 100 people. Christians operate best when they're out of their depth. You always, op- you were designed to be out of your depth. Because the temptation is, I can bring a kingdom, I can bring the kingdom to an individual. And I can, I can do that. That's the temptation. The human logic goes, and we actually use human logic to try and do it. But when we're out of our depth and we start thinking and thinking bigger, actually our dependency becomes on God. We are so de- we're so out of our depth that we're so dependent on God that he, he normally has more freedom to move. And so I just want to encourage you, increase your vision. Like, think bigger. When God talks about us impacting environments, he, he, he used, I, I, want to, I want to draw out three uh, terms or metaphors that he, he uses to describe us. The, the first um, two are found in Matthew 5, 13 uh, through to 16. We'll hit those up on the board. All right, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Okay, we've all, know, we've all heard that before. Makes sense. Second one's this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, and the third one is Matthew 13. This one isn't actually, um, this one doesn't refer to me or you or the church. It actually is talking about the kingdom. When the most uh, commonly used word in the New Testament is kingdom. Jesus preaches kingdom the most. And it's worth studying. Um, sometimes he says some bizarre things about it, like here. Um, but we'll try and make some sense out of it tonight. Matthew thirteen thirty three. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So, so yeast works. I've never made bread in my life, but apparently this is how it works. Yeast works, you work it into the structure of the dough so that it's spread out and enabling the dough to prosper and grow. That's how yeast works, okay? Cool, all right, so we've got these three principles or three ways that God relates to us. Let's try to draw out some, some stuff from them. Okay, um, salt. When, when it says, um, if salt loses its saltiness, uh, one version puts it, if salt becomes tasteless, it's good for nothing and just to be trampled over. 
Actually, the, ori- the original uh, translation, it doesn't really work well because it seems, it seems a bit dumb. But if you were to literally translate it, it's, if salt becomes foolish. That doesn't make sense in the con- in salt become foolish. How does salt become foolish? Mm. So the translation doesn't, so it writes it as if it becomes tasteless. Good, good for nothing, it's worthless, it actually becomes foolish. What's the contrast to foolishness? Wisdom. Wisdom is the contrast to foolishness. The implication being that as salt, we are to be wise, not foolish. And if we become foolish, we lose our impact and our ability to be sprinkled into the world. And we're good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled over by men. Okay, interesting. So the implication is when God talks about when salt becomes foolish there, like thinking back to this idea of human, human, human wisdom and God wisdom, what does Paul say about the gospel? He says the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. When he talks about peace, when, when God talks about peace, he says, I will give you the peace that surpasses understanding. In other words, human wisdom sees God wisdom as foolishness. That's dumb. That's ridiculous. The gospel, stupid. He who shall be first shall, shall, will come last. Uh, dumb. Doesn't make any sense. Foolishness. But God wisdom surpasses human wisdom. That God, so God says, I can give you peace that surpasses understanding. It goes past what human wisdom is. And actually often God refers to in the Bible as human reasoning as foolishness. Kevin, Kevin touched on it this morning when he spoke about the difference between earthly, um, what was it, earthly, sensual, demonic thinking. That's, that's, that's earthly wisdom. Yeah. But godly wisdom is greater. So what God is saying here, the implication is that as salt, okay, so as salt, the wisdom of God is to be rubbed into, sprinkled into our world by people who have a that Solomon heart, that willingness to understand God, the willingness to lean into him, to, to listen to him, to incline themselves to go, what are you saying about the situation, God? What, what is it you're doing here? What's your plan here? And jumping on that. And at that point, salt becomes effective. But the moment that it begins to honor human wisdom over godly wisdom, it becomes ineffective and good for nothing to be trampled over foot, underfoot by men. I see a lot of the church getting trampled underfoot by men. And I wonder where our value of wisdom is. So that's the first bit. Uh, I'll give you an example. um, When I was in school, um, on my third day, this kid took my tennis ball. He was older than me. And so I'm like, who's this guy? I've just got into the rugby team. I'll take him down. Um, (laughs) I attempted. I got the ball back. He then put me up against the wall, headbutted me, and took the ball back off me. Um, he then came into the class ten minutes later, and about a meter away from me, and just threw the ball at my face. And he got it muddy in some dirt or something. It's a splatter in my face, and I'm trying not to cry. Um, and since then, he then picked me out as a target. Now the thing is, my school was a split-site school. I had lower school and upper school. He was in the upper school. I was in the lower school. So I rarely saw him. So it was okay. It's also, guys, this is you know. Cool kids get bullied as well, right? <laughs> um, so he, so this, so this kid would, if he'd see me, he'd pick me out. 
all right? And, and fair enough, I shouldn't have started on him. Um, and so I go to church on Sunday, and who do I see but this pleb in, on the front row? <laughs> I'm thinking, what is he doing here? I'm thinking, God's going to kill him. It's got to be. So, like, <laughs> justice is about to fall. Um, and uh, my pastor comes over to me and says, Aaron, he goes to Enfield Grammar School. Can you come pray for him? Not a chance. Are you kidding me? No, uh, no, not feeling it today, Sue. Sorry. She said, no, no, no. I really feel like you need to... I really feel like I don't need to pray for him right now. No, no, I really feel... Okay. And I go over and I stand in front of him and he, he's, like, he's like this, like thinking this is really weird. He's not a Christian. This is really, his friends dragged him along. Um, and then he looks up and he sees this me and he goes... He's like... And I'm like... <laughs> um, out of sheer awkwardness I just go <laughs> anyway my, my pastor prays for him and then God so clearly says to me he goes Aaron you need to tell him that he has never felt love his mum has been in prison for 8 years wow. his dad left when he was a kid and he's been in foster care all his life clear as day <laughs> and I'm like no way. <laughs> on one side, I've got God asking me to do something. And on the other, everything, human wisdom is flooding at me. If you do this, you're going to embarrass him if it's true. If it's false, you're like an idiot and he's going to bully you even more. There's no good result out of this, Aaron. So I do it. And I say to him, Jack, though, is his name. I say to him, Jack, I'd, I don't know if this makes any sense, but um, your mum was put in prison eight years ago. And your dad left, out, left your family when you were young. And he just starts crying. And then I said, you don't know what love is. And he, hit, he literally you know, falls to the floor in a pile. Oh. You're on my turf now, mate. <laughs> you want to you, you come into my domain? And you want to try? You want to try to act the big man in front of me, yeah? I'll show you who's boss. I'm the God of Israel on my side. Huh? Oh, it was a David Goliath moment. Woo! Anyway, um, I just leave him there. <laughs> so God do his thing. And uh, I, go, I go to school the next day. <laughs> Monday, right? I had a class at the upper school. I'm like, Lord, save me from bumping into him. I can't deal with the awkwardness. He sees me from the other end of the English corridor. He's seen me. And he just goes, Aaron! thought, this is it. Uh, this is the end of me. And he ru- runs down the English corridor straight at me. <laughs> I- I'm frozen still with fear. And he just whacks his arm around me. Like, quite rough, but what are you doing? You need to come and tell everyone what Jesus did for me. This, I-, I can't explain what this kid was. What- on, the, on his last, in his last year, we were, I was sat in the medical room with him. Um, we just happened to be in there at the same time. And I think this was of God because I think he wanted me to see it. But um, the medical lady said to him, Jack, he was about to finish. Said, Jack, not one teacher thought you were going to finish. Do you know that? Not one. But you just changed. And he looked at me and winked. I, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't give him that word. I had to choose to honour divine wisdom over human wisdom. And I brought something to his life 
that he had never experienced, that he was so longing for. Often wisdom is seen behind the surface of a problem. He was a problem kid. I mean, psychologists would probably tell you it's because he's he's been abandoned and blah, blah, blah. But they had no solutions. They They didn't have a single solution. Not one answer. Jesus had every single answer he needed. Yeah. And it was simple, the love of a father. Yeah. And that's, that, that's what happens when we assault, we be, don't become foolish, yeah. but become wise. Yeah. We stay wise, we stay effective. Yeah. Okay, so then he goes on to say, um, you are uh, a city on a hill uh, that cannot be hidden, you are the light of the world. And he illustrates that as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Yeah. Isaiah 60 puts it this way. Uh, Isaiah 61 to 3. Uh, and I want you to read this as a prophetic word over your life now. This is Isaiah speaking to you now, okay? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. This is this bit. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. All right, let's unpack that a little bit. God has positioned you with light in order that men would be so attracted, not physically, maybe sometimes, but (laughs) so attracted to you that they would be drawn to come and find answers and solutions to their problems that they've been trying to find answers and solutions for for years. That is the position God has put you in. We say, you are the light of the world. He said that about himself. I am the light of the world. And now he's saying to me, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I believe in the... Um, I believe in sending people out with the gospel. I believe in the go of the gospel. I believe in going out and, and being sent there. Absolutely. The, you know, the gospel of peace, the, we, we talk about them, uh, your, their shoes, is an active thing. You walk with it, you go, I agree with that. But there's an element to the gospel, which is you, um, you go to a kitchen to get food, or you go to a restaurant to eat, you go to the stream to drink. There's an element of the gospel, which is people coming to us, being drawn to us, because God has positioned us as light in this world, that they would, come, they would come and find answers and solutions yeah. to their problem. That they would come and find peace. Yeah. It's not a case of... Um, it's not a case of, of look how great we are. It's not, it's not a case of look how, how, how good we are. It's a case of look how broken I was and look how mended I am. Yeah. Matthew puts it when he talks about being the light of the world. He says that men would be drawn onto your light and that they would glorify the Father in such a way that men are drawn onto you that they glorify the Father. That's incredible. But Isaiah puts it, kings and nations will be drawn to you. That's incredible. That kings and nations would come to our light. The brightness of our rising. Two examples where I've seen that happen. Uh, back home, we, we, we started an initiative. A guy had a dream. God birthed it in his heart that he would um, k- 
kit out a double-decker bus. He'd strip it out and he'd kit it with Xboxes, Playstations, laptops, um, a place for girls to paint their nails, uh, a recording studio, a place where kids can come and do their homework. And the idea was that we could drive it into estates and local areas uh, where we could just be salt and light and people would come and, and, and I guess, just enjoy time with us and we could talk to them about Jesus. And it went well. It started off, God raised the funding for it and it went well for a couple of months. And the local council came to us and said, I don't know if you realize, but wherever your bus goes, the crime rate drops by 70%. They showed us the table, the statistics. That's incredible. That the presence, it wasn't the presence of a bus, I'll tell you that much. There's a lot of them in London. It was the presence. (laughs) It was the presence of people of peace that were walking into an area And such was their light that people were being drawn to it that they were wanting to, that they couldn't be bothered committing those crimes. That they'd rather spend time with us, being with us. Unfortunately, the council then said, we will continue to fund it and we will fund it even more, but you've got to go where we sent you. And unfortunately, it's one of the saddest things, we ended up bowing the knee to the local, to the local council rather than listening to divine wisdom. The X-Bus, it was called the X-Bus. It became ineffective because the council just sent it wherever they wanted to go. We were previously listening to where God was wanting us to go. Where has God gone before me already? When Paul's on the road, Paul's on the road to somewhere and the Holy Spirit turns up and says, I want you to go somewhere else. It was the complete opposite direction. Paul drops everything and goes there. Why? Because the victory's already won over there. God's already doing that work. It's divine wisdom. It's, it's the ability to have an understanding heart. Mm. Second example, red frogs. God speaks to a guy and says, I want you to hand out sweets to students. Mm. That's the vision of red frogs, the, our student support network. That was it. Hand out sweets to students. Mm. It's now grown into a global ministry which is constantly affecting students and bringing them to know Christ. Because of one guy's divine wisdom, creative, it's creative very often. It doesn't make sense, but it's creative very often. You'll find this. We listen to God, he's very creative, God. Comes up with good ideas. And these tweets are like ridiculous things. Like they're indestructible, all right? <laughs> divine wisdom, and, and actually Red Frogs, why it's so attractive is we just go into places to be salt and light and people are drawn to us. Listen to this. What did, what did it say? Kings and nations will be drawn to you. Example with the X-Bus. The local government, which would, would be a, a king in those days, came to us and said, how, how, how is it you're doing what you're doing? The police force, nightclubs, the universities are coming to Red Frogs and saying, how is it you're doing what you're doing? We want to jump on board. And then the third thing that Jesus talks about, the kingdom of God is like yeast, worked into dough. Try and be quick. 1 Chronicles 22, 8-10 says this. Now this is, this is, there's two key principles, I think, looking at Solomon's kingdom and what he built. Solomon didn't end well, which is very sad, but he started great. <laughs> and if, if you read... Solomon and the the level of city life that he created piles of silver were stacked up in the streets and he actually talked he writes to someone and goes 
I have no adversary and no evil occurrence. Can you imagine city life where there's not a single evil occurrence and not one adversary, not one enemy? It's incredible. I think there's two principles it was built on. First is wisdom. The second is this. 1 Chronicles 22, 8 to 10. Then he called for his son Solomon, this is David, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of, my Lord, of the Lord, my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you've shed blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during this reign. He is the one who I will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Let's unpack that. The church, quick brief church history. I won't bore you. Um, The church uh, grows, blah, 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 and it gets to the point where it's being persecuted by the Roman Empire and this guy called Constantine, a a Roman emperor, um, uh, goes for some wars and says, oh, God, you give me victory, I will make Rome a Christian nation. And the way, and Constantine does, he wins. And the way Constantine makes Rome a Christian nation, Christian empire, is through the sword. He kills, and it's incredible bloodshed. It, it's a horrific history. Um, I think it's awful. But the church eventually, basically, uh, invades cities and nations on the back of the wrong ministry. On the back of bloodshed. Mm. What does God say to David? I cannot build the house that I'm wanting to build on your bloodshed. I have to build it on the man of peace. Solomon. The church has been so guilty at times of being, of of, of a ministry of bloodshed. Mm. To the point that what happened was, the church started killing each other. Idiots. This book of peace, love. I'm going to use this to kill you because you're saying something different than I am. Those days they just cut each other up with swords. Ridiculous. Stupid. And eventually the state rises and the state says, we have to be an arbiter between the church because we can't have this infighting continuing. And so the state rises in power and the state becomes the voice and the church's voice gets reduced. And that is the state who has the voice in, the, in, in cities and nations. The church has no voice. It's voiceless. And so it's so desperate to try and have a voice that nowadays it's just it's throwing out it's some of its basic dogmatics yeah. to try and have some sort of relevance. But what have we said about relevance already? It's not about reflecting the secular culture. It's yeah. about being what they long to be. Yeah. The other thing the church has been guilty of, which I think kind of falls under maybe bloodshed, but in a different way, is escapism. To the point where we're like, I don't want to go out there because you guys are dirty and disgusting and broken. We're not going to touch that. We're not going to go there. You're lost. You're gone. We're going to stay here in 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 our comfort zone, in our holy huddle, away from the dangerous, dark world. What does God say about the kingdom? The kingdom is like yeast that is worked into the structure of dirt. That's the design of the kingdom. 
that actually enables the structure of the dough to prosper and grow. We are not called to distance ourselves from the world, to run away, to hide behind closed doors. Not the point. The ministry of bloodshed is not about how we go is not how we go out invading our cities and nations. It's a ministry of peace. The reason I think Red Frogs is successful is because it decides to go into the club. It decides to go into the universities. It's not outside it going, come to us. It's inside it, being salt and light. It's not a ministry of escapism or bloodshed that curses people and says, you're so damned. I think sometimes we forget what we, what, what we are without Jesus. It's a ministry that goes into the dough and begins to affect it from the inside. I, I walked out of, of one, one Red Frogs with, one night, and it's, it, this is just incredible. One night, we go, we're in garage, and uh, Chaz goes, I'm going to go ask Institute if they'll let us in tomorrow. I've, I've spoken to people about this in other churches. Do you know how many other churches have tried to break into Institute as, as the nightclub? It's one of the main nightclubs in Aberdeen. It's, it's, it's known by churches for being impenetrable. Chaz walks up to the front door, says, can we come in tomorrow? Yeah, why not? Instant favor. Because I think God works is wanting to build something on the ministry of peace, not the ministry of bloodshed. Because that's where God's working. That's what God's on. That's what he's empowering. That's what he goes with. God says to Jesus himself, I don't come for the, for the well. I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. How good would it be if we lived in, in, in a culture where instead of moaning that God didn't turn up to my house, we celebrate when he turns up to Zacchaeus' house. Thank God that he went to that guy's house. He needs it. Jesus goes where he is needed. He didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. And most of the time, if you're a Christian... You're pretty well. If you know God and you're in relationship with him, you're pretty well. The church's mission is to be there for the sick. Those who do not know peace, but want it so badly. It's not, we have to understand, it's not like we go out into the world and we get dirty by touching it. No, that, that was Old Testament thinking. Old Testament was, if I had a clean lamb, and someone spat on that lamb, that was dirty, I can't use that anymore. Or if a leper touched a man, the, the man became unclean. But what we, are, what we see on the other side of the cross, because of Jesus, is when Jesus touches the leper, Jesus doesn't become unclean, the leper becomes clean. Jesus becomes the factor that changes the thing. And what does he say? He passes it on to us. You are to be salt and light. That what you touch, that what you affect, don't worry, you're not going to get dirty by it. Don't be afraid by it. Actually, that what you touch and affect, that's going to become clean. The inside of you is going to begin to affect the outside. It's not that the outside starts to affect your inside. It's your inside, what you're carrying, what God has gifted you with, salt and light, is to go into the structure of the dough that it begins to affect it, that people will be drawn onto our light and glorify the Father. That's the picture of the church. That's the picture of the ministry of bringing peace to people. 
I'll finish on this. What it boils down to is this. What do you place more... When, when, um, when God talks about wisdom, he says the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of God. That's the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. It's actually universe, the University of Aberdeen's motto. I discovered that the other day. The, begin, the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of God. The fear of God is not this thing of like, oh, I'm so nervous around God. The fear of God is to do with what you value. Where, where are you placing your value? If you, when you begin to value God's voice above man's voice, you begin to enter into a realm of wisdom that starts to unlock doors of nightclubs that people have been trying to get in for years. Chaz, just go up and walk to that door and ask to go in. They'll let you in. It's awesome. Honoring God's wisdom over man, man's foolishness. Don't become foolish. Don't become ineffective. Through wisdom, I think we can begin to establish in our city and our nations, through honoring the voice of God above that of man, we can begin to establish peace. We can begin to bring peace into broken places. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Then you'll establish peace. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.